that. All right, let there be my voice. Um, so we are uh, just going to be looking at uh, one of the applications that Pastor Wynn uh, really honed in on, and that, that was the application that we saw um, uh, with the parable of the sower and very much fruit, but we're going to be tackling it a little bit from a different angle. Uh, second up, um, this is a big boy pulpit, so I, I better do my job well, right? Amen. Um, so then, uh, while Pastor Tiago is away for his pastoral internship, I will be preaching during the afternoons and evenings. Though five months seems like a long time for preaching, this does not leave much time at all. Certainly not. I have only around 20 sermons to preach, and half of those are shortened due to our times in the afternoons. I don't think many of you want an hour exposition right after lunch. Amen? See, y'all are truthful. You know, that's actually something that we'll be covering in these next few weeks. So, I figured that I have roughly ten full sermons to preach, and so ten sermons gave me the idea for the Ten Commandments. For every commandment that we study, I'll provide a devotional comment for our afternoon gatherings. But for this afternoon, I want us to simply introduce the commandments in their proper Christian understanding. And by introduce, I mean very, very much so a shortened introduction. So let's turn to Exodus 20. We'll read and then we'll pray. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water below the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, uh, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy." Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, When all the people saw the thunder of the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us 
lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let us pray. Father, you are good to us because you are a God who does not leave us without instruction, but you perfectly lead your people in how we are to behave ethically, but also to see what our delight is by keeping your commandments. Lord, help us to see this hour that your law is not burdensome, but that it is a delight to those who have been um, redeemed from the bonds of Satan, sin, and this world. Help us to love and cherish it. And help us to see how this communion with you through keeping your commandments, by obedience to your will, that this prepares us even now for the sacrament that we are about to partake in. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Human beings are truly interesting creatures. Other than bare necessities like food, clothing, etc., we require two things to live. Rules and stories. Rules and stories. Without rules and stories, there can be no society, there can be no civilization, and everything would be chaos. All would agree that rules are needed for society to function. Without laws and stipulations... Uh, covenants and codes, Uh, we have no means to hold one another accountable. How could we live with any sense of stability if there were no rules? No matter how large or small a scope, there must be rules, whether spoken or unspoken. These things hold us accountable to one another and even to ourselves. I think everyone can agree with this basic point That we need rules. We need rules. We need laws. We need commands to order and structure our lives. But what about stories? What about stories? Why are stories so important to us as human beings? How are they important to society? Well, first, and I would argue, it's because they bind us in a narrative. They bind us in a narrative that we are mutually involved in. Society has a shared story that informs the members of society of who we are, what we do, and what we should care about. We as those in the American society know this really, really, really well. But in recent decades, our society has changed because our society has adopted multiple narratives to try to explain who we are and why we do what we do. There's so many stories out there today competing for our attention. To provide a simple illustration, you know, I don't like to get too political, but I'm sure many of you know the problems that are going on with Washington and the president. But that's not truly the interesting thing. Well, for some it is, but that's not the really interesting thing for our purposes today. What's truly interesting is how certain television programs or stations, media outlets, and other Uh, narrative uh, building societies, or or I guess you should say institutions, these institutions, how they cover what is happening with this uh, development in Washington. 
And if you listen carefully, newscasters will speak often of the narrative that one particular group is proposing, whereas the other group is proposing a different narrative. That one particular group is proposing a different narrative from a different group of people with a different narrative. You see, there is a certain amount of influence that comes with how powerful the narrative communicates to us human beings. If the story is captivating, the story's worldview, its philosophy, its ethics, its rules, can influence, influence us in deep and long-lasting ways. Simply put, if we buy into the story, we buy into the morals that it teaches Society tells itself stories that inform our ethics, our laws, and our rules. And so it's really important to ask ourselves, what is our story? This is why stories are just as important as the rules or morals that they teach. They inform and attract us to think and behave and to set rules and laws that conform us to its narrative. This is why we should never read the commandments of the Bible with its story, either the Ten Commandments or any other rule that God gives us in Scripture, outside its immediate and its overarching narrative context. The story gives meaning to the law it proposes. The stories of the Bible helps us to see what God has done in the life of his people. And it is always in the context of God's work that God gives his commands. Our text this afternoon is situated in the story of the Exodus, where God had redeemed his people from slavery to bring them into communion with himself. The preamble of the Ten Commandments states this clearly for us. Please uh, look at your Bible, the first two verses of Exodus 20. Notice who speaks, the author of the story. And also notice who's the main character of this story. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. I'm the main character. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is in this context of redemption and communion that God commands Israel the Ten Commandments. Brothers, this, is, uh, this needs to be drilled into our minds here. For God's covenant people, his commands are always in light of his saving and redeeming work, both in the Old and in the New Testaments. So then, with this said, we are studying the Ten Commandments not as outsiders to God's redemptive purposes. We are studying them as those who intimately know the God of the Scriptures, who love and trust Jesus Christ and desire to live as his disciples. We are those who have been brought into the story and have bought into the story of God and his work. And if we buy into his story, we buy into his commands. We are those who sing the old, old story of the Christ who died for me. And we also sing, trust and obey. Because we have that old, precious story of God's redemption, we willfully submit ourselves before God and his law. We trust and we obey. Because we are redeemed people, because this is our story, we therefore can and are obligated to keep the commandments of God. 
It is in the story of our redemption that we read and understand the text before us today and in the following weeks. Brothers, that was my introduction. A little bit longer for a shorter sermon. Um, So I won't keep you here uh, too terribly much longer, but I just want you to take away two introductory remarks, uh, particularly as it pertains to what we will be seeing in the following weeks and what we're about to partake here with the Lord's Supper. First, my first remark, I want you to know that questions concerning... Questions... Uh, concerning how the Old Testament relates to the New Testament, particularly as it pertains to what commandments we are obligated to follow, will be answered in following weeks. I want you to get this. We will get to some interesting and difficult questions, and we will slowly and painstakingly go through the text of Scripture, and we will understand our doctrine of God's law. I want uh, those questions to be fully explained, and I need sufficient time to do that. I don't think uh, the time right after lunch is appropriate. Also, this topic of the Ten Commandments is often one of the most misunderstood or confused aspects of congregants, normal lay people, in Reformed churches. It is a part of our DNA as Reformed Baptists, Reformed Christians... But it should also be for all Christians, those who desire to live for Christ, to maintain and respect that the Ten Commandments are God's moral and unchanging law for all people at all times. We can affirm this because this is plain, that this is the plain teaching of Scripture. However, this is often not the case for many of the church today. In our day, We must recover the need for slow and methodical exposition of the law and clarity concerning the Christian doctrine of the law. I don't mean this for just Reformed churches in general, but I am explicitly talking about us here at Grace Baptist at Castle Woods. I am talking about us. We as a church need to be instructed upon these things from God's word. I want us as a church to be on the same page when it comes to how we are to behave as Christians, what commandments we are to follow, and how we make sense of where our ethics as Christians comes from. For some of you, this is very obvious. Some of this is just going to come past you, and you're you're maybe looking at me right now. I mean, of course, how? It's the Ten Commandments. Are you dumb? Uh, Well, that's quite possibly true, but uh, it tends to be the case that many people don't understand the doctrine that they're expounding. Perhaps you never considered why you believe that the Ten Commandments are God's moral, unchanging law. There may be gaps in our theology, not knowing how we get from point A to point B. Or for some, you may uh, be wondering why we are obligated to keep anything that comes from the Old Testament. We're under grace. We're not under the law. We have the law of Christ. Again, these questions and these objections will be fully answered in the following weeks. But for us as a church to be on the same page here, it is paramount. Because this is a sticky situation uh, and topic that we're about to get into. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And it can be very sanctifying. But we must be on the same page. That's why it's paramount 
that we are here for service in the evenings and the afternoons. It is not possible for some, I realize. So I would highly encourage you, uh, for those who work, especially those who are nurses or those in the nursery, uh, to listen to the audio messages um, that are on our church website. Make use of the resources God has given us. My second remark is this. God's law is not an abstraction for philosophers or theologians to mull over uh, synthesizing some kind of Christian ethic in their ivory towers. No. God's law are first and foremost commands. They are exhortations to be done, to be worked, to be practiced, and to be obeyed. These commands of God, the Ten Commandments, are imperatives that we should be striving to fulfill, much like what Pastor Wynn taught us this morning with very much fruit. And brothers, this is a warning for us. Anyone who fails to strive after the commands of God will fail to see Him in glory. Scripture has made this clear. Any of us who neglect our duty to be constantly striving to conform and pattern our lives to God's precepts will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. If we shirk our responsibilities to obey God, God will repay us. God is not to be mocked. Yes, these are commands that God requires from you. You are obligated to God's Ten Commandments. As Christ taught in Matthew seven twenty one through 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What is that will? The Ten Commandments. To put it in other terms, we must strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. For some of us, brothers and sisters, we must be reminded who we are dealing with. We are dealing with Yahweh, the hero of the story. One whom we must be in utterly in awe of and terrified by and trembling before. This is who we are dealing with. The author of our story and the main character is God himself. This God here, our God, He is up close and personal, and he demands your full allegiance, or he will have nothing from you at all. Our Christian duty is not merely an affirmation or theological abstraction. Our Christian duty is a life lived out for the mere pleasure of our God. These words I'm speaking to you, They're difficult, and some things, there might be some gaps in our theology here, and we will get to those. But for some, the words I'm speaking now may be a burden to you. You know what is in your life, and you know who you stand before. You know the God that you have offended. You know the sin, the transgression, the lawlessness in your own heart. You know where you have failed. And you see yourself as the enemy of God in his story. And you see upon the horizon the terror that awaits disobedience. There may be that debilitating sin in your life that, cannot, that you cannot seem to get rid of. Um, and you're ashamed of it. 
There may be some general apathy for the things of God. And you know this is not right for those who profess Christ. There may be guilt that clings so close to your conscience because you possibly don't believe that God, this hero, this perfect hero, could truly forgive you. You may hear the words coming out of my mouth and all you hear is more rules, more commands, more things I cannot follow that I can't keep. More weights upon my shoulders, more shame, more guilt, more misery. Why bother with these commands? Why strive when I know that it is my death sentence? So then, brothers, we have two positions here. Two extreme but commonplace problems presented to us. On the one hand, some could just be nonchalant with God's commands, passively or lethargically obeying, if you can call it that. Or on the other hand, some are so burdened by, our, by the commands of God that they just simply give up hope, that they have no hope. They don't see these things as a delight. But these two false notions of God's law stem from the same erroneous place. For those who have this problem within their own hearts, I would simply propose to you this. And this is key, brothers and sisters. It's because we fail to remember the story of why we obey in the first place. Brothers, we are a redeemed people. Not redeemed from the bonds of Egypt, but from the bonds of Satan, sin, and this world. In a few moments, we are about to partake in the sign of our redemption, the Lord's Supper. By eating this bread and drinking the fruit of the vine, we are remembering the story of how God has saved us. Through His body and through His blood and through His painful and humiliating death, our Lord Jesus Christ acted as our substitute for the guilt and for the shame that we accrued and that we rightfully deserve to bear because we have not been obedient, because we have been disobedient, because we have been rebels, because we have hated God. But Christ Jesus is good, and He is a hero, even to rebels and enemies of God, such as us. Brothers and sisters, our Christ's death was perfect. In his substitution, he took upon all our sins with its guilt, with its shame, and he bore it. He burdened that blow for you, brothers and sisters. He burdened that blow for you. But not only that, the enjoyment and the blessing of his righteous life were freely given to you. In body and blood, he laid a curse upon a tree while you and I enjoyed this newfound relation to the Father, a communion symbolized through this sacrament. There's no longer that barrier of guilt and shame, but intimate and profound love between us sinners and God our Father. So brothers who have a weak conscience, who constantly feel that sting of their own sin, know this. Know that Christ has dealt with that sin too. 
That sin that clings so closely in your conscience that you can drum up into your own imaginations. You know what it is. That sin, even that sin that is so close to your own heart, to your own rebellious, sinful heart, and you realize that it is sin and that it's wicked before him and you want to change. No, he has died for that sin as well. He has redeemed you. You are his people, and he is not done with you yet. Brothers, there is no longer that barrier of guilt and shame, but that intimate and profound love between sinners and their God. That's our story. That's our story. He pulled you out of that misery so that you can enjoy the fellowship with the Father in Christ, through the Spirit. God is with you, weak brother. Because He came and He got you. Not because you got better. And for the brother who gives a nod of approval to the commandments, but does not actively and passionately strive after them, you may yearn to commune with God, and you might think of God in in the times of your delight. But communion with God in Christ is found in keeping His commandments. One of our applications was that we should bear fruit this morning. But bearing fruit is not a nebulous concept. There's weight to bearing fruit. We can understand what bearing fruit looks like. And it's by keeping God's commands. Hear Christ's own words in John 15, 9-11. And if you would, please turn there with me. John 15, verses 9-11. through And I will probably start a little earlier than that. John 15. John 15, verse 4, if you would, brothers. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. And you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in them, he is it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified. You hear that, brothers and sisters? Do you hear that? Ask me if you abide in me, if you love me, if you bear fruit. My Father is glorified in you. Do you think God wants to be a part of His own glorification? Yes? Amen? Amen. He does. God is for His glory and He wants you to be a part of His glory. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you abide in my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Jesus Christ abided in God's commandments. He followed God's commandments. And He abided in God's love. These things I have spoken to you. He's speaking to His church here. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be 
full. Brothers, here's your joy. Commune with your God through keeping His commands. To abide in Christ, to commune and fellowship with Him, is found in keeping His commands. It was Christ's pattern in obedience to the Father that He was enthralled in His communion with Him. And so it is with us. After His final act of obedience, Christ ascended to the Father in glory. Through His obedience, Christ was gathered to the throne of heaven. And brothers, if we have been cleansed from our sins and are striving as Christ did on this earth, if we follow His pattern of righteousness, if we make the laws of God our delights, we too will meet Him in glory. And this pattern of righteousness in communing with God through obedience to the law, this is the way of our joy. This is the way of our glory. This is our story. And this is our law. It's not merely as a duty, but it's as our delight. As it is written, His commandments are not burdensome. For the Christian, the law is our delight. With Christ as our Savior and us in the story of redemption, we do not come to the law of God with apathetic approval or with needless fear. No, we come to the law of God knowing this is the way our Savior communed with His Father while on the earth. He obeyed His Father and His Father loved Him. His Father loved Him and still loves Him in glory. Christ has shown us how we can enjoy God and that our joy may be full now. Brothers, our joy is by knowing Christ crucified, making that our story, believing that story, and following His commands. So then, it is in context of communion with God, in this story of redemption, in the story of love, in the story of Christ's obedience to the Father, that we believe that story. That story informs us. It makes, we make it our own. We buy into it. And by buying into that story, we say, what are we to do? And God gives us, here is what you can do. Obey me. Love me. Here is your joy. Our God is a perfect Savior and a perfect Redeemer. He doesn't save us so that we can fiddle with our hands. He saves us so that we can be actively striving to look more like Jesus in obedience to Him. So then, brothers, our joy is knowing Christ crucified, making that our story, and following His commands. It's in that context that we come to study the law. We don't come to the law with abstraction or apathy or in needless resentment. No, we come as the means of daily communing with our God through obedience and delight in His law and Him. Through the keeping of God's commands, we shout to God and to this world that God is worthy to receive all honor and praise and glory to God. And it's in the context of worship and communion that we find our joy as Christ has taught us. So then, brothers, trust and obey For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let us pray.
Father, we are about to come before you in communion through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And we ask that you would please be with us now, guiding, directing us as you see fit. And in this communion, Father, through this sacrament that we see when we leave this place, that we do not leave empty-handed with nothing to do, but Lord, we go away from this place knowing exactly what we are to do because we have a story of redemption. Lord, thank you for your law and thank you for that story that we can mull over for this week. And as we prepare ourselves in our hearts, in our souls, and in our minds for the coming weeks concerning the law, Lord, may you be blessed in uh, receiving all glory and honor from your people. We ask this in your Son's holy and perfect name. Amen. The Apostle Paul said, For I received from the Lord that which is also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus 